I'm Erin Holt, and this is the Functional Nutrition Podcast, where we lean into intuitive functional medicine. We look at how diet, our environment, our emotions, and our beliefs all affect our physical health. This podcast is your full-bodied, well-rounded resource. I've got over a decade of clinical experience, and because of that, I've got a major bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model. They're both failing so many of us. But functional medicine isn't the panacea that it's made out to be either. We've got some work to do. And that's why creating a new model is my life's work. I believe in the ripple effect. So I founded the Functional Nutrition Academy, a school and mentorship for practitioners who want to do the same. This show is for you if you're looking for new ways of thinking about your health and you're ready to be an active participant in your own healing. You'll get things here that you won't get other places. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. I would love for you to follow the show, rate, review, and share because you never know whose life you might change. And of course, keep coming back for more. Now give me the mic so I can take it away. All right, you guys, here's the episode that I know a lot of you have been waiting for. I've got Dr. Gabrielle Lyon talking all things protein and muscle and all that good stuff. If you are not familiar with her work, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon is board certified in family medicine and completed a combined research and clinical fellowship in geriatrics and nutritional scientific. Uh, sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. She completed her undergraduate training in nutritional sciences at the University of Illinois. Dr. Lyon is a subject matter expert and educator in the practical application of protein types and levels for health performance, aging, and disease prevention. She has continued to receive mentorship from Dr. Donald Lehman, PhD, over the course of two decades to help bring protein metabolism and nutrition from the bench to the bedside. And I really wanted to read like the full-blown bio to get the point across that she kind of knows her stuff. Not only is she extraordinarily well-researched and well-educated, but she works with patients as well. So she's bringing the research in to actual human bodies. And that's really what I always try to showcase here on this show whenever I'm interviewing people. We don't want just just want the research. We don't just want theory. We also want like, okay, how does this research research and theory actually apply to people? Now, a couple of disclaimers that I want to make. Um, at one point, I said something about vegans better not be ordering Amazon. That was a joke. You know, I know I'm sure I have vegan listeners. Listen, I was vegetarian for 20 years. I was vegan through some of that. So no shade. I've got nothing, nothing but love for you guys. But you know, I, I'm snarky and I like to make jokes. So that was one of them. The other thing that I wanted to throw out there is that I think Dr. Gabrielle misinterpreted something that I was saying about movement and um, moving my body because as you all know, I move my body. I am really active. Um, and I think she was misinterpreting that. And so she kind of came in with a little bit of tough love. Now, I love tough love. I give it. I take it. I love that. And I really wanted to leave that part in there just in case anybody listening kind of needed that like pep talk, like kick in the pants no excuses, let's go type mentality. I, I also want to mention that she does have a book coming out. It's available for pre-order now, Forever Strong, which is a new science-based strategy for aging well. So you can check that out. Without much further ado, here's the combo. Okay. Welcome to the show, Dr. Lyon. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks so much for inviting me. I appreciate it. Um, I think your name, it's fair to say, has become synonymous with two words, <laughs> P 
protein and muscle. So today we'll definitely get into both of those things because I know everybody wants to hear about that. But before we even get there, I would love to hear a little bit about your backstory, um, kind of like how you got here. You know, this is what you do. How did you get here? Yeah, that's a, a great question. Um, let's just say it seems very serendipitous how I got here. Um, I graduated high school early and I moved in with my godmother. Do you know who Liz Lipsky is? I've heard that name. Yeah. I don't know her personally, obviously, but I've heard that well, name. Well, you might. You might. She is one of the OGs of functional medicine and she teaches the digestion module. She was really at the forefront and I would say is at the forefront of functional medicine and specifically as it relates to nutrition. Fortunately, she is my godmother. And I moved in with her when I was 17 and I started to sit in with her patients and just listen. And I, I couldn't believe the impact that nutrition had on people's lives. So at that moment, I was totally sold. And after that, I said, okay, well, I obviously have to study nutrition because that's the way. It is the way. And I then I went and did my undergraduate at the University of Illinois in nutritional sciences vitamin mineral metabolism and was lucky enough to fall into the class of a protein hero named Dr. Donald Lehman. And for the listener who doesn't know who he is, he is really a world-leading expert in protein metabolism. And he became a mentor over the last 20 years. And this really shaped my thinking. So from undergraduate, and this is of course the truncated version, uh, as my undergraduate uh, in, you know, uh, education progressed, I realized that ultimately if I was going to make the big impact that I knew that the world needed as it relates to nutrition, that I felt uh, an advanced degree would be the best way to do it. To really look at the interface between health, wellness, and nutrition, the next stop was medical school. Medical school and then um, two years of psychiatry training and three years of family medicine. Then I circled back to do a fellowship in nutritional sciences, geriatrics, with research in obesity medicine. And what does your work, your day-to-day -day work life look like now? Well, I'm a mom of two very little children, and I have a husband who uh, was former military and is now in a second career. He is a surgical resident, so he's an intern working about 100 hours a week. And um, I have a full concierge practice, so I have a full medical practice uh, that exists right now and a podcast and a book coming out. And I educate and speak and create content. Is that it? Is that all? Um, I'm sure I could probably think of a, a handful of other things, but that's it for now. That, that's it I for would, now. I would, as a entrepreneur, um, fellow mother... I would love to hear kind of like what is a typical day look like for you? Like you wake up and then like what's the rest of it look like? Yeah. So I wake up, um, it could be around 4.45. Um, around 4.45, I will get up early. Definitely, um, you know, we're changing some things in, in the house regarding uh, having a nanny. We're going to have the nanny in the afternoon. So I'll wake up early and I will train. I oftentimes try to get the kids to train with me. So what does that so look like? We have a little setup in our garage. 
and they have little kid weights and, you know, uh, I have a handful of kettlebells. We do some kind of physical activity. Get them ready, get them out the door, get them fed. We brush our teeth on the way and get them to school. Um, but my day usually starts very early. Very, very are early. Are they waking up that early or are you waking up? They wake before? up around between five something and six. And then you drop them off at school and then yeah. does that – and then like how did you squeeze in writing a book with all this stuff? I have no idea. <laughs> so Okay. So in full disclosure, my husband was a Navy SEAL for 10 years and here's what he would tell me. He would say, listen, if you really care about this stuff, you're going to wake up earlier. Mm. He's like, it, no bullshit. <laughs> they, there is no – negotiation, you get the job done. And, and that's really the truth. So I think ultimately what happens is you end up eliminating distractions. Things mm -hmm. that are not important are really not important. And truthfully, if you are busy enough, and I use the word busy uh, cautiously, but if you are disciplined and focused enough, there is very little room for time wasting and outside distractions. If you have significant deadlines, there's very little room for other things. Yeah, I think that uh, the word, I've had to renegotiate my relationship to the word discipline because for a long time, but I, I have a history of disordered eating in my teens and, and 20s. And so discipline was always like, you know, I always thought about it as like punishment and severity and like with food in particular and my body and all of that. And I've had to really, you know, look at all of the ways in which my discipline has got me really wonderful things, a family, a business, you know, I hold myself accountable to myself. I take care of myself. And so I love, I love that you mentioned discipline in there because it's, it can be a really, really useful tool. Yeah. And, and one, I want to highlight something you just said, you basically said that you have a translatable skill. And I think mm -hmm. that that's incredibly important for anyone who is interested in health and wellness to understand that that discipline and the behaviors in either one end of your life, for example, you had just mentioned that you were very disciplined with your body, maybe it created some kind of disordered eating and exercise patterns. But what you're also saying is that you had an incredible amount of fortitude and discipline that then translated over to the capacity to build a business and all of these other things. And that is profound and important for people to understand because I could give you the perfect program, which I arguably think that I did right. Uh, I, I'm teasing because there's many ways to skin a cat. But without a certain kind of mental framework for execution, knowing your weaknesses, understanding potentially where your future self is in regard to your present self, that doesn't matter what you get, right? It doesn't matter what plan you get. The execution really depends on a handful of attributes that you cultivate. Uh, that's a real great way to eradicate a lot of shame for, for people listening to this because we can be so hard on ourselves. And it's like the thing that maybe um, can be detrimental in one arena, we could translate that over or you know move that over to another place and it can be our, our greatest gift and greatest asset. Mm -hmm. So I love that. Are you spiritual? You were talking about uh, a lot of synchronicities that kind of like led the way. I'm curious if you have a, a spirituality practice or belief. I think that we are meant to um, do certain things in the world. I, I do. Whether you call that spiritual or not, I feel that many of us and all, many, all of us have a certain calling and there comes a time where you have to have the chops to listen to that. Um, 
I, I, that's, so that's what I mean by synchronicities or, you know, perhaps there's a definitely a more spiritual side to me. I, I would say yes. Yeah. I, I think that I'm in agreement with that in terms of my own beliefs. There's a, there's sort of a path. And when we're far from our path, we, there's a, there seems to be some type of force that kind of knocks us back on the For path. Sure. Sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's not. I do want to shout out our show sponsors. Get ready to conquer your to-do list with Ned's Brain Blend. You know I love me some brain help. This powerful USDA certified organic tincture blends equal parts CBD and CBG with brain-boosting botanicals and medicinal mushrooms, providing functional support for improved clarity, focus, and mental performance now and further down the road. Ingredients include MCT oil, full-spectrum hemp, ginkgo, goju cola, bacopa, Siberian ginseng, lion's mane, and lemon. Become the best version of yourself and get 15% off Ned's products with code FUNK. Go to helloned.com forward slash FUNK or enter code FUNK at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash F-U-N-K to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. So I'm 39. (laughs) This is the year I've become really interested in all things aging and keeping my body and brain functioning at the highest capacity and optimize function for as long as possible. So we have something called senescent cells. They're also known as zombie cells, which are essentially worn out cells that don't serve their optimal function and they drain our resources. They can accumulate in our bodies as we get older, which can lead to those symptoms of aging, like slower recovery, lower energy, sluggish cognition, even aches and pains. Qualia Senolytic is something that I've personally been experimenting with to help the natural elimination of these senescent cells. It contains seven of the most researched-backed senolytic ingredients that are designed to complement each other, and you only have to take it two days a month. That's my favorite part. So if you're in your late 20s or older, adding Qualia Senolytic to your routine can really play a crucial role in these aging symptoms. Go to neurohacker.com forward slash funks for up to 50% off Qualia Senolytic. And as a listener of the Functional Nutrition Podcast, you can use code FUNKS at checkout for an extra 15% off your first purchase. Neurohacker also offers a 100-day money-back guarantee, so you can try it at no risk to decide for yourself. That's neurohacker.com forward slash F-U-N-K-S to try Qualia Senolytic with code FUNKS. Let's get into muscle a little bit. I, you know, for so long health research has really focused around obesity, adiposity, fat loss for anybody in the health, wellness, nutrition space. We've we've talked about that an awful lot. And discussion about muscle has sort of been reserved for the gym. And why is it that we've missed something so, so major? And why does your work focus on the importance of muscle health? Yeah, I think that we've missed it because it's exactly why you said that when we think about skeletal muscle, it's really thought about as it relates to the gym or physical performance or looking good naked or you know in a bikini whatever it is that you're wearing but the reality is is skeletal muscle is this organ of longevity it is an organ system it's the largest endocrine organ in the body which should make everybody pause and think to themselves wait i, I thought the thyroid gland was an organ skeletal muscle which makes up of your body weight is an endocrine organ. When you contract it, 
it secretes myokines. Myokines are little molecules that go throughout the body. They affect the brain. They affect the bone. They affect the way in which your immune system is regulated. Skeletal muscle, the fact that skeletal muscle makes you strong and the fact that it looks good and helps with athletic performance, in my opinion, is so actually low on the totem pole for what skeletal muscle is. The other statement that you made, which I think is really important, is that we've always focused on adiposity or fat. And why is this? For a few reasons. Number one, it's easy to measure. It's also easy to see. And it's also something that we know has significant metabolic effects. Being overweight or uh, having a significant amount of obesity affects fertility. It affects um, cardiovascular disease, insulin resistance, diabetes, all these diseases. But where we've fallen short is that we think that obesity is actually the root cause. It's not. It's a symptom of unhealthy skeletal muscle. We've kind of gotten the whole paradigm of thinking wrong. And with any way of thinking, if people perpetuate it over and over and over again, it puts blinders on. It mm. puts blinders on capacity to ask questions in a different way. And that's one reason why I think it has been so misunderstood is number one, obviously, uh, for all the reasons I had mentioned, but also skeletal muscle is not homogeneous like fat. And what, I, what do I mean by homogeneous? is that my muscle fibers are different than your muscle fibers, are different than your children's muscle fibers. So it is a bit more complex to study. But again, it is vastly underappreciated. And if, if we made, because I think it's fair to say that a lot of people's primary goal is fat loss. If we kind of tabled that and made the goal of putting muscle or building, increasing skeletal muscle on our on our body, would that be a like a worthwhile shift? It's everything. If you begin to focus on what you have to gain rather than what you have to lose in anything and in anything in life, then it becomes a a way in which you can execute from a place of empowerment. It's not constantly what do you have to lose. And by focusing on what you have to lose, the messaging is reduce your total calories, exercise more, go on a yo-yo diet, destroy skeletal muscle, because that's what happens when you lose weight and you don't address the protein consumption and you don't address resistance exercise. You don't just lose fat. I mean, depending on how you do it, you can lose fat, but you also lose lean tissue. And part of that lean tissue is muscle mass. Mm -hmm. And you do this over periods of time, you do this over decades, and you destroy skeletal muscle. You literally destroy an organ to get to an endpoint of fat loss, which ultimately becomes more and more challenging because muscle is, again, the organ of longevity, but it is also your metabolic sink. It is the, the primary place for glucose disposal, uh, the carbohydrates that you eat. It is a primary site for fatty acid oxidation. It is a primary site for amino acid reservoirs. So these amino acids, if you get injured or you get sick or uh, any number of reasons, your body pulls from skeletal muscle. If you go through periods of yo-yo dieting 
where you destroy this skeletal muscle, you destroy all the things that I mentioned. You destroy a component of your metabolism as it relates to blood sugar regulation, as it relates to fatty acid oxidation, as it relates to mitochondria function, simply put uh, energy, right? Because skeletal muscle houses a ton of mitochondria, which is where you generate energy. Um, so these are all the reasons that we think about the negative aspect of focusing on what one has to lose, like weight versus the process of actually gaining skeletal muscle. The process, you know, of gaining skeletal muscle allows you, number one, it transforms you. So there is a transformation that happens internally because it is a currency that you have to earn. You can't be born into it. You can't bargain for it. You can't sell it. It is a metabolic currency, but it is a currency that requires resilience, requires things. And so what I find clinically is when we shift the focus from what an individual has to lose versus what an individual has to gain, they improve exponentially in health, but they also transform exponentially as a human. And that's you know, what a you, real win looks like. You say that it requires resiliency or resilience. It yeah. can also, in my experience, give you the same. Like it can give yeah. you that back to you. I, I mean, I, yes. I really have the past maybe two years have focused more um, on building muscle as, you know, a strategy for health, largely due to you know, to following your work. And that is the biggest thing that I've noticed. Yes, body composition shifts and changes and rearranges, but it's like this, this resilience that I feel that I haven't felt in the past as somebody who has struggled with autoimmunity in the past. You know, I, I, when you started talking about muscle and immune health, I'm like, okay, now I'm in, now I'm really listening. Yeah. Now I'm really yeah. paying attention. That was my gateway. And I'm like, if there's something that I can do to improve my immune system and my just overall like robustness, like I am all in. And I'm I'm curious, I would love to hear you talk more about the immune system and immune health, but also, uh, I guess this is like a two question thing. Um, for a long time, I would say like, I'm not somebody who puts on muscle mass easily. Like my body just doesn't do that. And I had to, first of all, stop saying that because the more I say something, of course, the more I'm going to see it in my <laughs> reality. Um, but I do have to kind of work for that. Is is that, are there different body types or is there different genetics that kind of lend itself to putting on muscle or not? There are, I, I do believe that there there is a genetic ceiling. Uh, we, I, I think that we all have witnessed that. Some people can put on muscle very easily, others not so much. However, having an extremely well-executed plan I believe takes care of that because again, the end result isn't necessarily about how much muscle. You know, I can't tell you how much muscle would be ideal for you, which is shocking. I can't tell, you know, my neighbor or my mom how much muscle that she should have to live optimally. So regardless of the amount that someone puts on it, and it'll vary. So if you are an untrained individual and you start doing some kind of resistance exercise, you know, typically men put on double the amount of mass, but a woman could put on, let's say, easily if she's untrained and she has everything right, a, a pound a, a month, right? And again, these numbers vary by age, hormonal status, training status, nutrition, but uh, it's safe to say that typically men can put on twice as much 
and women still can always be putting on mass. And again, you might be a hard gainer and that is totally okay. But the other thing that I would love to tell you is that the health of skeletal muscle isn't just about that aspect of hypertrophy, the actual accretion of putting on mass, but it's the exercise itself that creates a flux. Exercising muscle is utilizing substrate. So if you think of muscle like a suitcase, and if you are overeating and under-exercising, you're constantly stuffing that suitcase. And if that suitcase is full of carbohydrates, it will eventually spill back into the bloodstream. Your muscle, you can think of as the same way, that you exercise skeletal muscle to empty that proverbial suitcase. And it's that flux and that changeover of substrate that really helps with the health of skeletal muscle. There is no such thing as a healthy, sedentary person. There's no such thing. Um, so that's helpful to hear. So it's not just like how swole you are. It's like just the- I mean, that helps. Like you can be jacked jacked and tan and that's awesome. (laughs) I'm doing my best over here. Okay. Um, Come on. You're how many kids do you have? How many kids do you have? I only have one. Girl, get it. How old? She's nine. Oh, I have like literally no excuse. I mean- How old is your child? She's nine. Nine years old? Yeah. Okay. So then you guys should be, do you know- when we think about muscle health and we think about body composition and regulating immunity and fertility and um, these kinds of things, that children should also be lifting weights. Mm. And that is not really spoken about because for the longest time, there was this thought process that women or that children shouldn't be lifting because it will stunt their growth. But that's not true. You can do body weight exercises. You can be extremely physically active and do some kind of low, heavier load, like a lower load and, and do resistance training. So we have, um, those like ring pulls, like her, I like, I look at her, I'm like, your back is jacked. Cause she does a lot of like upper body stuff. She plays soccer, but, um, that's an interesting thing to break. Cause she likes to work out with me. Cause mm-hmm. I, I just do it in the house and I have like two pound weights, dumbbells that she'll like pick up and like throw okay. around. Um, but for, you know, for, for folks who are listening, who are parents and like their, their interest is peaked, how would you strategize this with your kid? Would you do it in the exact way you're doing, which is they just have weights and moms working out and kiddos are, are there with some dumbbells? Yeah. Yeah. So we have dumbbells, we have the foam dumbbells. We have, I, you know, and I was just thinking about this, that they see what you do. Mm. And for any mom listening or any pr- practitioner listening, if we can get to our kids early, which by the way, um, this is why nutrition is so important and the messages and the narrative, the narratives that come through on nutrition. When you think about the influence that you have on your child's health and wellness, it really can go one of two ways. And I hate to be binary, but I'm, I'm going to just be binary for this kind of conversation is that if you do not exercise and train in front of your child that, that, and you are stuck on your phone and doing all of those things then that is one way that your child is going to navigate the world and feel as if that's normal. That is going to be devastating for their health, period. The other way is to incorporate physical activity in everything that you do, which is what we do. We, uh, again, the kids go on the treadmill. Um, I know people are like, oh my gosh, that's so unsafe. No, we have it set up so it's safe. We have a rubber band set up for them. 
we have ways in which they can do what we are doing and that we do it as a family. Um, and and I, I do think that that is very critical. It, it's a, a critical component to the overall health of the family unit. Because again, we don't exist uh, as individuals, we exist as a family unit. And, and that becomes really critical, especially thinking long-term. It's much easier to deposit strong muscle and strong bone when you're younger. Because as we age, we go through these periods that are called catabolic crises. Oftentimes in the longevity space, people talk about aging as if it's a linear thing. Up, mm. oh, I hit 40 and now this happened or I'm going to have a slow, steady decline in health. Quite frankly, that's not the way it happens. The way in which we age is not linear. And in fact, we go through these moments of catabolic crises. And what does that mean? That means, for example, if an older person goes on bed rest, which is the number one treatment of choice when people go into the hospital, or if you get the flu, or if you break a limb, or I don't know, X, Y, and Z, people rest. They don't get out and move. Obviously, they're not feeling well, whatever it is. But an older adult will lose in one week what it would take a younger adult to lose in 30 days. Whoa. And what does older mean? What's the threshold for Great older? Great question. In the literature, it's 65, but I would argue that it's not 65 yet. It's no longer 65. 65 in the literature is really the cutoff for an older adult. But when it comes to muscle health, muscle health can decline um, much younger than that. I, I frankly believe in your 30s. God, <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> so we have to be working on it. We have to be actively act actively working on this. You had mentioned hormonal status too. And mm. could you talk a little bit more about the hormone muscle connection? Are there certain hormones that help us build muscle, retain muscle? Just well, gonna... everybody talks about the hormone testosterone as its anabolic properties. I, I think that that's pretty well-received and understood that testosterone can increase and that can increase muscle mass and strength. Of course, uh, someone has to be training, uh, you don't just take testosterone and all of a sudden you're going to become buff. The other hormones, progesterone and estrogen or estrogens, they may have some impact. I, I think that there's some variation in the literature, but there is some impact obviously as it relates to skeletal muscle health and certainly tendons tendon turnover, ligament health um, with some of the female steroid hormones like estrogen. Well, I mean, I suppose estrogen is, is male and female, but typically thought of as the female and um, male hormones. So testosterone, definitely estrogen, progesterone, varying degrees of impact on skeletal muscle health. And I say varying degrees of, of influence because you typically – for a provider out there, you don't typically start a woman on estrogen and progesterone and see changes in her muscle mass. It's just not it's just not typical. But if you were to add in some kind of testosterone therapy, you do see improvements in muscle mass, assuming that they're that they're training appropriately. But I also want to mention cortisol. Mm. Cortisol is a catabolic has a catabolic influence in the body meaning that it has the potential to really negatively affect muscle health as it relates to breakdown. 
So there's protein synthesis, which is the building, and then there's protein breakdown or protein degradation. And ultimately, muscle health, among other things, is this balance between protein synthesis and and protein degradation. Cortisol has the opposite effect. So it really skews the the needle towards breakdown. So if an individual is in a sleep-deprived state where potentially cortisol is high, you're also going to have influence on blood sugar. Perhaps blood sugar regulation is off. Glucose levels are high. Insulin levels are then going to be subsequently high. This hormonal milieu can change the dynamic of the health of skeletal muscle. So having lower levels of cortisol um, and more optimal levels of other hormones is is obviously more beneficial. And you had mentioned earlier that muscle is an endocrine organ. Mm -hmm. So through moving your body, through moving skeletal muscle, through putting on skeletal muscle, does that also impact your hormones? I would say that hormonal regulation... um, does it impact your hormones? Yes, it does. But to the degree at which it impacts your hormones, I, I think we can, we should think about this from a, a few different lenses. Is a woman going to not, is a woman going to regain her hormonal status because she's lifting weights if she has gone through menopause? No, she's not. It's not going to happen. Women are going to go through menopause. There's no amount of weightlifting that is going to stop the natural progression. So I, I think that that's really important to understand. As it relates to testosterone, can lifting weights improve testosterone? Um, yes, it can, but to the degree at which it does, um, I can't say for sure that that's a, a major influence, right? Because there's also this discussion of exercise and growth hormone. Does exercise promote growth hormone? Yes, but it's local and transient. So again, it's not this just do this and get this. Mm-hmm. It truly is a, you know, if you want to have intelligent muscle health, it becomes this uh, comprehensive thought process and a comprehensive plan. So uh, those are some of the things that I think about when I, I think about really the influence. I, I think it's important not to overstate the influence of hormones. And obviously, it's important not to understate the influence of hormones. And then I think from a practical aspect, the next question becomes is, could someone still have a great body and not be on hormone replacement? Right? Moms are probably thinking that. And I would say, yes, absolutely. That there are people that do not take hormone replacement therapy and still stay very fit and lean. Hmm. But I will say one more thing is the better your body composition, the chances are the better your fertility overall will be. And when you say, can you define better composition? Yes. So in the literature, again, we talk about body fat percentage. We don't necessarily talk about muscle mass percentage. We know that individuals above 30% body fat, that's not great. As it relates to muscle mass, um, again, we don't have, we have Strong definitions as it relates to sarcopenia or cachexia, which is muscle wasting or decreased muscle mass and function. But thinking about body fat percentage, again, depends on fertility, but you know, 30% or more is, is not a good spot. Uh, the leaner an individual is within a certain 
a certain number. Again, everybody is different. So for example, I tend to genetically be a leaner individual. I have friends who easily sit at 25% body fat and are doing great. Their numbers look great. They're strong. They're fit. There is some variability depending on the person. You And I just want to underscore that when you use the term better, you're really referring to health based on the medical literature. You're not like, this isn't, you're like, this isn't an aesthetic thing that we're talking no, about. No, this has nothing to do with aesthetics. This is how is your blood sugar regulation? How's your blood mm-hmm. sugar regulation? What do your triglycerides look like? Um, what is your fasting insulin? Are you strong? Are you sleeping through the night? You're not getting these ebbs and flows in, bl- in blood sugar. Um, so that's what I'm talking about. And how are we looking at blood metrics and then physical metrics as it relates to skeletal muscle health? I mean, I don't really care how anybody looks. And they, you know, frankly, you shouldn't necessarily either because, again, the conversation is what do we have to gain versus what do we have to lose? But in my book, I talk a lot about how skeletal muscle plays a role in its impact on fertility. Uh, Obesity definitely negatively impacts fertility, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. These are issues with obesity, issues with insulin sensitivity. All of this plays a role in impacting Uh, fertility and metabolism. And what's so amazing about these things is you can leverage skeletal muscle health to be able to move the needle. And this is why you say all diseases of aging are issues in the muscle first. Yes. Yes. Because where does it start? It has to start somewhere. And obviously, obesity and diseases of aging are very complex. Is it a mitochondrial issue within skeletal muscle? Is it insulin resistance? Is it you know, not being able to keep up with reactive oxygen species. There's all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, if we know that 40% of the body is skeletal muscle, this likely plays the largest influence as it relates to health and wellness. And we're going to quickly interrupt this discussion to shout out our show sponsors. All right. You have all asked me for an official update. I've been using Keon Aminos for every single day for months now. And so I've gotten enough DMs to know that I got to address it here. I will say what I've seen for myself, definitely enhanced muscle growth. I mean, you wouldn't look at me and be like, whoa, she's swole, but I can tell. And I'm putting up heavier weights a lot easier and I don't get sore. So I'm like more likely to, I'm lifting more because I don't have like have that muscle fatigue or just like that soreness. So strong recommend. This is why Keon Aminos really is my fundamental supplement for fitness. You can naturally boost energy, build lean muscle, enhance athletic recovery. It's backed by over 20 years of clinical research, highest quality ingredients, no fillers, no junk. It undergoes rigorous quality testing and it tastes amazing. My personal faves are the mango and the lime. If you're looking for flavors to try, you can save 20% on monthly deliveries and 10% off one-time purchases. Go to get Keon.com forward slash funk. That's G E T K I O N.com slash F U N K to get my fundamental supplement for fitness, Keon Aminos. I've got a fun Organify offer for you, so get ready because I know how much you love these. When you get the Sunrise to Sunset kit, you can also enjoy a free 30 day sample of Pure for a limited time. The Sunrise to Sunset Kit helps transform your entire day in three easy steps. A detoxifying morning reset with the green juice, an afternoon energy boost, caffeine-free with the red juice, that's my fave, and a nighttime relaxation tea with the gold, which is like a yummy anti-inflammatory golden milk type situation. 
all packed with superfoods that your body will love. You get an awesome bundle savings on this kit, and for a limited time, you get a 30-day supply of the Brain Boosting Blend Pure for free. Pure helps to repair, protect, and feed your brain cells. Keep that sweet, sweet brain of yours nice and healthy. If you want to save an additional 20% and get free shipping, head to Organifi.com forward slash funk. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash F-U-N-K. And I just think with like modern day world, we can get so overwhelmed by there's so many things that are are really beyond our control and we can get really hyper vigilant about thinking about those things, air quality and, you know, mold exposure. And like to, to some extent, like we're just living in the world and doing the best we can, but there are so many things that are actually within our control. Yeah. And this is one of those things. This is a lever that we can move around. Uh, totally agree with you. What is the one thing that 100% of people do? Aside from, <laughs> Aside from breathe and like pick your nose. What is it? It's eat. Yeah. 100% of people eat. It is the longest relationship you will ever have with anything. Longer than your parents, longer than your spouse, longer than your children. You have to eat. It is the longest relationship you will ever have. With any relationship, sometimes things are good. Sometimes you go through a breakup. Something. Sometimes things are amazing or whatever it is. But if 100% of people eat, then you have to get that low. You have to get that right. Or you have to at least try to get that right because you could go your entire life without exercise. Totally uh, don't recommend doing that. But one could, but you cannot go your entire life without eating. So you have to nail the food component of uh, health and wellness. And there's a lot of confusion in this space. Um, And I would love to clear that up for people because for whatever reason – Nutrition is incredibly controversial. And so I have been studying nutrition in some capacity for the last 20 years, not just in clinical practice, but also seven years professionally. So seven years of um, some kind of nutritional science education. And it was not as controversial or as uh, fiery as it is now. With emotion, typically comes bad decisions, right? Mm. No one is like, oh, I am so emotional now. I definitely am going to make a good decision, right? I mean, that's it's kind of like not how that happens. The same thing uh, happens, I, I, I think, with nutrition. There's difference between feeling very passionate about nutrition versus having an extreme emotional connection to the information provided. And, you know, when I think about dietary protein, I think two things. Number one, people go crazy about it, right? They're like so offended. And number two, the actual guidelines for dietary protein have not changed since uh, 1968 was the last time we updated it. 1968? That's insanity. So you, so it means one of two things. It means number one, we haven't made any new science discoveries since that time regarding dietary protein. Or number two, perhaps um, – Dietary protein is deeply underappreciated in its role in human health and its potential for impact. So um, dietary protein is the most important macronutrient, especially when we are talking about muscle health. Why do you think people get so uh, up in arms and hot and bothered and big mad about it? A a few reasons. People truly want to, I, I believe people want to do the right thing. 
Mm. And for whatever reason, dietary protein seems to pull a morality lever for people. Whether they believe a false narrative about agriculture and greenhouse gas, which by the way, in the US, the majority of greenhouse gas and issues of that nature are really driven by transportation and electricity, not by animal agriculture. Roughly 9% uh, of all agriculture is a contributor. So out of all of greenhouse gas, 9% is agriculture. And that includes fruits and vegetables and, and all kinds of things versus 80 some percent is electricity, transportation, and industry use. In transportation, are we talking like planes, trains, automobiles, all that? Yeah. So if you could go vegan for um, two years and take one transatlantic flight, and it equals the same thing. I hope those vegans aren't ordering Amazon. (laughs) I agree with you. That is a really good point. The people really – so you asked why do I think um, protein is – is so controversial in that way is that it pulls on this morality lever that is a huge mistake, right? This is not, we can't blame our sins or our utilization of resources on a cow, right? It, to me, that's a smokescreen. The other aspect is, um, there's two other aspects to this. People are convinced that protein for some reason or animal-based protein is bad for their health which the evidence doesn't support that and the evidence has not supported that in the literature. And I think that the final component to why protein is so controversial is that it has a face and um, it, that is, can be emotional for people. Yeah. People are still asking about protein intake in kidneys, you know? Are they really? Yeah. That's insane. Like, is it, isn't it bad for your kidneys? Right. No, and there's been multiple meta-analyses, which which a meta-analysis uh, a meta-analysis takes a, a bunch of, you know, studies and looks at it, and gives you information. So it's not just pulling from one study or two studies. It's typically, typically a handful of um, quality studies, at least you hope, and uh, then a meta-analysis would be produced. So no, um, protein does not negatively affect healthy kidney function for a healthy individual. Um, So that has also been disproven so long ago. And look at this, cholesterol was taken, the dietary intake of cholesterol was taken out of the guidelines in 2015. But yet we still hear people talk about dietary cholesterol and how you shouldn't eat that. Do you think in your opinion and based on what you've seen since you've been studying nutrition, essentially since you're 17 years old, do you think it's possible to meet our protein needs for health um, without consuming animal protein? Um, I think it um, – I mean, are we talking about just eating plant-based? I mean, I think you can eat plant-based and still eat animals. So, it, yeah, at doing it as a vegetarian or a vegan. I think that it can be done from a macronutrient perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's multiple ways to design a diet. Do I think that it is ideal? And do I think it's what we should give our children considering um, many children are deficient in iron and some of these nutrients? 
No, I, I don't. In addition, I think that um, the evidence would support and will continue to support that the lower your total protein intake, that at least 50% should come from animal sources. Do you, how would you help somebody strategize um, protein intake? And, you know, of course the book is coming out and absolutely recommend buying the book and and reading through the book um, to expand on everything that we're talking about in today's show. But how would you recommend somebody strategize, strategize their protein intake, especially if they feel like they're struggling to get in their protein needs? Well, I think number one, just determining where you are, how much protein are you actually getting in? Uh, So knowledge is really important. How much do you actually have? Once you Mm -hmm. determine how much you actually have, then you can strategize where you need to go. I think it is very simple to think about eating whole foods. That is the best source of protein. Could you get it from shakes or drinks? You can, but I would love for people to prioritize prioritize some kind of high nutrient-dense protein food, whether it is lean beef or chicken or oysters, you know, choose whatever it is that you want. But uh, from a strategy perspective, having a protein-forward diet, that first meal of the day is, is really critical. And that could be between 30 and 50 grams. And then that last meal of the day uh, being critical before you're going into an overnight fast. So you're waking up 4.45 in the morning, some mornings, and then you're, or most mornings, and then you're exercising. Do you Mm -hmm. eat anything before you work out? No, no, I'm just not hungry. And then, so you'll do your breakfast post-workout. What does your breakfast look like to start? So this morning we had, we had frittatas. We had eggs with some turkey in it and some spinach and mushrooms. Awesome. Okay. Easy. Nothing complicated. Yeah. No. How important do you think it is that we get like really specific and and refined about pre and post-workout nutrition? Because some people really dial that in. Do you think that's necessary or is it more about you know, moving your body and making sure you get adequate protein throughout the day? Well, the evidence would not support that uh, um, meal timing is important as it relates to exercise. So if you are an average person and you're interested in nutrition, uh, I would refer people to, there's an International Society for Sports Nutrition, and they did a great, they've done a handful of papers that are just really, really great about macronutrient timing. And you have to understand that what you're eating in a 24-hour period is going to be most important. So your protein intake in a 24-hour period is going to be most valuable. Um, And that should be around one gram. So if the RDA is set at 0.8 grams per kg, that's 0.37 grams per pound. So what does that mean? That means if you're 115 pounds and you multiply that by the uh, RDA, that will give you around 45 grams of dietary protein. So this is if you were to do, right. So if you were to do the calculation, this is ridiculous. Now, um, a more optimal way would be looking at 0.7 to one gram per pound ideal body weight. I really don't care. Um, As long as you're getting it in, that's great. Within a 24-hour period, that is the first rung on the hierarchy. Are there other ways to do it that is potentially more effective, like dosing it between 30 and 50 grams in the morning? And then 30 and 50 grams in the evening so that you're having a different kind of distribution, I think is valuable for the standpoint of managing blood sugar, managing hunger, 
muscle protein synthesis from this aspect of what is perhaps more optimal for body composition because you're eating more than protein, you know? Mm -hmm. That's super. I think that takes a lot of pressure off of people to like get it exactly right. Um, all right. Final question. If you're going on vacation and you can only take three supplements, what are you packing and why? Oh, three supplements. This is easy. Okay. So have you heard of urolithin A? No. Are you serious? Yes, urolithin I love a. Okay. 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 So urolithin A, there's a company called MitoPure and they make urolithin A. Urolithin A is incredible. So urolithin A is made in the gut microbiome um, and only 40% of people can actually make it. So it's actually made, so it takes some of these allagitanin, these compounds from pomegranate, walnut, and it converts it to urolithin A if you have the capacity. What is so incredible about urolithin A um, is that it actually impacts mitochondria and it improves mitochondrial function and, and it improves mitophagy. So we talk about muscle health and everybody talks about creatine, which I love creatine. Um, and I use first forms creatine. I love it. But the other aspects of muscle health include mitochondria and energy, you know, uh, above and beyond creatine and protein. So if I'm going away and I'm packing what, I get five supplements? I said three, but go ahead. Okay, no, no I, I don't need five. Knock I don't need it five. out. So um, mitopure is urolithin A, and I use 500 milligrams twice a day. Okay. There is so much science in randomized control trials, uh, placebo, double-blinded trials. This, this compound has incredible science. So number one, is there evidence to support it? Um, so there's that. I also think a fish oil is really important for omega-3 fatty acids. That's super important. Vitamin D, a lot of people don't convert it. So those would be my top three. Okay. And then if you wanted to get crazy, I would say creatine. And potentially for me, I would use a nootropic. So I use a company called Thesis and I use there's all different kinds of blends that are incredible. It has mushrooms. And so I'm kind of cheating because it's it's not a one <laughs> single thing. It has like alpha GPC in it and caffeine and L-theanine. But that's really like my go-to. And it's it, these are supplements I use every day. L last question, really, for real this time. How do, you, how do you use creatine? How do you dose that? When are five you grams. That? Just five okay. grams. And I typically just do it five days a week. Okay. Cool. And I play around with it. Sometimes I'm taking it. Sometimes I'm not. It depends on how much I'm eating. You know, if I'm eating a lot of red meat that week or that month, then I don't necessarily need to take as much creatine, right? Um, but if, say, I'm eating really light and I'm eating more fish this month because maybe we're going to California or wherever we are, then uh, that will be a month I add it in. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. Can you tell folks where they can find more of you in your work? Yes. So um, first of all, I think I'm so grateful for anyone who is still listening to this podcast. Um, I cannot share or spread this message without you. And this is a team effort, hence the name Forever Strong. Forever Strong is really about community and what is it that we are together. Um, so in my mind, uh, you can find me at my, on my website, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. Com. I have uh, pre-work. I have workout videos that go with this book, Forever Strong. By the way, it took two years to write. Look at that. Um, oh yes, I have a great podcast. If people are interested in science or just incredible stories, the Dr. Gabrielle Lyon Show. I'm very active on Instagram and Twitter. We have a recipe list. 
We have a newsletter, all kinds of things. Awesome. We'll link all, all the goodies up in the show notes too. Thank you so much for taking the time to come chat yeah, with us thank today. thank you so much. You're, you're the best. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you got something from today's show, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.